Every time the doors of the temple are open, Don Maya is there. In fact, Philip, do you have any prayers? Because God answers Don Maya's prayers. She's a prayer warrior. And I went away so impressed with the Lord of the universe who looked on Don Maya and said, here is a woman who by the standards of the world is a total loser. No resume, no money, no accomplishments. I can make a comfortable home in Don Maya and the Holy Spirit of God lives in her. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. As we kick off the summer, we wanted to share a few of our favorite episodes with you. And today, we're going to revisit a conversation with Philip Yancey on true beauty. So stay with us as Philip takes us on a journey across the globe to show how God can use some of the most unlikely women to reflect his image. But first, some background on Philip. Uh, Philip Yancey grew up in a strict fundamentalist church that radically shaped his view of God as a kind of super cop. Then later in life, Philip began asking really difficult questions about God and Christianity and the role of the church, questions that many people are kind of scared to ask, but he did it out loud. Many of his best-selling books explore these deep questions of our faith. One of his most recent books, titled Fearfully and Wonderfully, explores the work Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey did together in regard to people affected by leprosy. So let's get to it. Here is our conversation with Philip Yancey. This is God Hears Her. Here I was, a post-60s hippie with hair out the, (laughs) you know, like a foot wide on on all sides. Mm. So that was me. And then Dr. Paul Brand was this distinguished, silver-haired British orthopedic surgeon Mm. who had spent most of his life in India. I recognized authenticity, vulnerability, and expertise in him. And... I latched onto him and said, uh, could I follow you around? Could I write up your thoughts, your story? That took me to places like England and India and then Nepal and various other places. I latched onto Dr. Brand early on for about a 10-year period, and my own faith was taking shape. I wouldn't have felt comfortable writing books like prayer, does it make any difference? <laughs> I didn't pray back then. You know, yeah. I wasn't sure it worked mm-hmm. or it mattered. Mm-hmm. But I could write with complete integrity about his faith. And while I gave words to his faith, the transfer was he was giving faith to my words. Mm. So I came to believe it was true. Wow. There's a teariness in your eyes and in your voice, and I respect it so much. So thanks for your vulnerability. But, you know, Dr. Brand served a role in your life. He did. Yeah. And it was more than an interesting subject to write about. How would you define him more as a, as a what? Mind-blowing, We came together over the issue of pain. The first book I wrote really was Where is God When It Hurts? And like everybody at some stage, I'm trying to figure out, okay, there's supposed to be a good, loving God. How come all these bad things happen? You know, we all ask that question. It's a great question. Yeah. And I'm in libraries. We'll explain later, Aaron, what a library is. It's before the internet, but you know, there used to be things called books on shelves in these big buildings, and you had to be very quiet, or the librarian would smack your fingers. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'm reading books on the problem of pain, you know, the curse of pain, God's mistakes in creating the world, these kind of books. And through my wife, she gave me a little brochure on the gift of pain by Dr. Paul Brand, because he was a person who discovered that leprosy is the most feared and oldest disease. It's been around for thousands of years. And we know stories, you know, from Ben-Hur and movies, things like that, of how people with leprosy are so feared, they're made to live in caves. And these are all true. And they are grotesque looking because they lose their fingers, they lose their toes, they go blind. And the reason he discovered was because they don't feel pain anymore. So they go blind because they lack that little pain cell that makes them blink. Wow. And their eyes dry out. They'll go all day long. I've seen this with leprosy patients. They never blink because we have a little subliminal pain cell that makes us blink every few seconds. And if you stop blinking, you'll right. feel that pain. Right, know? right. If you say, okay, for the next five minutes, I'm not going to blink, you'll regret that. And the same thing, they'll rake leaves in a yard all day with a splinter sticking into their fingers that they don't even know is there, and that will get infected and gradually the bone gets absorbed. They'll wear shoes that are too tight. We know what that's like. You get a new pair of shoes, you wear it one time, man, this is uncomfortable. So you take them off, put your old slippers uh-huh. on, yeah. you break them in. Mm-hmm. But a leprosy patient never breaks them in because wow. it just wears down and gradually he'll lose his toes. So. Dr. Brand's perspective was, thank God for pain. If I had one gift I could give my leprosy patients, it would be the gift of pain. There are so many areas like that where this wise mentor had thought through a lot of the questions I thought only I had, you know, (laughs) and he had reflected on those in great depth and guided me for about a 10-year period. And you tagged around the globe after him. And um, up close and personal as a mentor, almost maybe more than that at times, as your tears show as you Mm. even think about him. What did you learn, Philip? I know you. Forgive me if I'm a little bit intrusive, but I want to bring you out here. What did you learn about people and how Dr. Brand saw people, lepers, the, the least of the least of the least, and how you began to see Jesus in Dr. Brand, and how did it shape you? How did it change you? We live in a celebrity-oriented culture that's a very achievement-oriented culture, and we rank people by what school they went to, how much money they make, how high they rise in the corporate world, how many books they've sold, you know, depending on your area. And It's a capitalist economy. (laughs) We're just barraged all day long with the message, what counts is how beautiful you are, what counts is how much money you make. I'll just tell you one little story that came after Dr. Brandt had died, but I went to a leprosarium. I was speaking to a mission that works with leprosy in Nepal, which is the nation right next to India. We toured this leprosarium called the Green Pastures Hospital. One of the beautiful things about leprosy is that all of the major advances in the treatment and understanding of the disease come from Christian missionaries Mm. because they were the only ones willing to work with leprosy patients. Here were these great scientists, great doctors, but they wouldn't go near a leprosy patient. And so it was up to the missionaries, and God sent some very talented ones like Paul Brand and his wife Margaret. So we were being given a tour by a PhD physical therapist from Holland. And we walked through this courtyard as we're getting the tour. And I I saw a woman over way across this courtyard, I'd say maybe 50 yards or so. And she had had leprosy for many years. She had no toes left. Her feet were all bandaged. She had no fingers on her hand. We just kept going and we got a tour of the hospital. It took about half an hour. 
And when we came back, she had come all the way across that courtyard to the sidewalk. She couldn't walk because of her feet. So she moved by planting her elbows mm. on the ground and dragging her body. So it was quite an effort for her to come all the way across that courtyard. She had heard our voices and wanted to meet us. And when I saw her right next to the sidewalk, I figured, well, she must be a beggar. You know, what, what else can you do in Nepal when you have leprosy? So I reached into my pocket and uh, fumbled for change to see if I had some Nepali coins I could give her. Well, my wife Janet was with me, and uh, Janet was a social worker with Down and Out in Chicago, and she had a very different reaction. She went over to this woman and uh, knelt down beside her, put her arm around her, and the woman started singing. And of course, we don't know Nepali, and she was singing, Jesus loves mm. me, this I know. We could tell by the tune. And the doctor who was with me said, uh, Philip, I want, I want to introduce you to Don Maya. Don Maya is no beggar. She's the closest thing to a saint that I know. Every time the doors of the chapel are open, Don Maya is there. In fact, Philip, do you have any prayers? Because God answers Don Maya's prayers. She's a prayer warrior. And I went away convicted first at my snap judgment of Don Maya, and also so impressed with the Lord of the universe who looked on Don Maya and said, here is a woman who by the standards of the world is a total loser. No resume, no money, no accomplishments. I can make a comfortable home in Don Maya. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit of God lives in her. And I know a lot of people struggle with self-image and am I worth it? I guarantee you, whatever your problem is, it's not as bad as Don Maya's problem. <laughs> I guarantee you. And yet God, can reflect God's image even in somebody like that. It was a, a lasting lesson, and I guess that's what I took away from Dr. Brand because I met some of his patients, and he, would, he and his wife would spend 10, 12 years working with them, surgery after surgery, redoing tendons, reshaping hands, rebuilding feet, trying to figure out what shoes work best, just painstaking, grueling work. Why? because he believed that people like Don Maya were worth it because they're beloved of God. They can and do contain the image of God. Mm, that's such a beautiful story. I can't help but think about many women that I know that are in my life that they may not have any sort of resemblance of like deterioration mm. of their bodies physically, but inside they're just eating at themselves. They have a lot of childhood wounds that they repeat in their mind, the trauma that their dad said to them growing up or that their mom said to them or their sister. I even know for myself, there was a moment in my life where I felt like I just didn't want to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And while physically I looked like healthy and happy and I'm a bubbly personality, inside I felt like I was dying inside. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was deteriorating. And I think that's what's so beautiful about that story is I can't help but think about your wife that got on the ground with her <laughs> and put her arm around her and how many women need that yeah. for them to put their arm around and go, like, I'm here and I see so much beauty in you that you don't see that you might be wrestling with internally. Oh, Erin, that is so beautiful. 
And when we come back, I'll ask Philip about another group of women, too, Dr. Brand's wife and Philip's wife, who some would say have been overlooked. And I'll ask him to speak to women who feel like they serve in the shadows. So stick around to hear two amazing stories and how these influential men have intentionally made space for their wives to be all that God has made them to be. Right here on God Hears Her. Be an even bigger part of the God Hears Her community by signing up for our weekly newsletter. Visit GodHearsHer.org today. That's GodHearsHer.org. Now, back to the show. Philip, I think you've described Dr. Brand's wife Hmm. as someone who's been overlooked, so maybe seemingly invisible. Yeah. I think a lot of women feel that way too, Erin. I really respect what you just said about being eaten up alive inside. And then there, we have lots of friends who are eaten up by disease on the outside. But right. but also for those who maybe serve in the shadows or who are overlooked, um, how many of us wonder if God's ever going to notice us or let us know that mm-hmm. he notices us? What would you say to that woman, Philip? Yeah. Well, let me just tell you a couple of stories. Uh, one would be of Margaret Brand. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret was one of those deeply humble persons, and not for one second did she ever resent some of the acclaim that her husband Paul was given. They worked as a total team. And when you're a missionary doctor, if there's a need, they assign you to do it. You don't have to reapply for certification in some other field. You just start working, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. figure it <laughs> the out. The needs are so great, right. Yeah. So Paul loved to tell the story that they went to one of the best medical schools in London, University College, and he was second in his class. Margaret was first. How <laughs> 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 well. And that's true. And they got acquainted at a InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Group. I think it was mm-hmm. called the IFES over there internationally. And... Then he went to India first, and she joined him. And it was a tumultuous time. It was right after partition when India and Pakistan split, and a lot of people died, and millions of people were uprooted from their homes. So it was kind of a scary time. No kidding. He felt very comfortable in India. It's a whole new world to her. And she started working, and she got a notice from the head of the hospital saying, what do you know about ophthalmology? And she wrote back, uh, that's the one field I know nothing about. And the next day she got a note saying, good, report for duty tomorrow. (laughs) 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 She had to take a cram course. And then ultimately, she became, by any standard, the world's foremost expert on (laughs) ophthalmology of leprosy. I was there when people were flying in from around the world to this tiny little village in India to train under Margaret Brand. And in fact, a book was published by ODB Ministries called A Vision for God that tells Margaret's story. At the same time, she's raising six children and uh, and sometimes trying to, you know, homeschool as well. And she and Paul cooperated in the most creative ways. Paul was had a different kind of background. He had started as an engineer, so he saw things in a more kind of holistic way. She was more specifically medically trained. So the two of them together, Paul and Margaret, were an amazing creative couple. It was a remarkable time. But then Paul 
ultimately was acclaimed around the world mm-hmm. for his discoveries, was knighted by the Queen mm-hmm. of England and received all these professorships. But Margaret was always with him and never once felt a spark of envy or jealousy. She was there to serve. That's what missionaries do, even highly skilled missionary doctors. So that was her mindset. Um, you know, most of us women are not going to be a world-renowned yeah, ophthalmologist. Right. <laughs> you know, but, but you know, but even she, in that amazing giftings, she felt great about it. But you know, what do you say to the ones of us who aren't that exceptional or aren't that kind of star? You know, how do we know yeah. that our contribution is making a difference? Or maybe we don't ever know. Well, maybe yeah. to tag team with that, maybe mm-hmm. it's also. A lot of women acknowledging that their pain is shaping them for something bigger mm-hmm. and that they can be a part of. Mm-hmm. And I think if they knew that their pain was making them mm-hmm. something. If they viewed pain as a gift the yeah. way Dr. Brand discovered it. Right. There there did become a kind of a reversal where uh, Dr. Brand had grown up in India, Dr. Paul Brand. So he knew it well, felt totally comfortable there. Margaret served valiantly for 25 years there. It's a difficult place to raise children. You always have the schooling issue, and some of them would go back to England for boarding school, but that's so difficult. And so there was a certain point where Paul had an offer to go to a leprosarium in the United States, in Louisiana, and it was a research center, and he thought, I can do a lot of good for the world just by working in a laboratory. It's not as fun as surgery and doing my own stuff with my own Mm -hmm. patients, but Mm -hmm. he was open to it. And then they offered a very good position to Margaret and it solved some of the schooling issues because they had a couple of kids still Mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. So Paul kind of reluctantly, for Margaret's sake, accepted that. When he came, however, the management of the hospital had changed, and there was a very jealous surgeon who would not let him perform surgery for years. Wow. And that was the deepest. It would be like somebody telling me, you can't write for the yeah. next five years. and say, <laughs> I'm going to another country. <laughs> and he would just check in with her and say, are you happy here, Margaret? Oh, I love it. It's so, and the kids are so happy. And he'd never let her know how deeply unhappy he was. So she had sacrificed for him, in a sense. And then the last third of their life he sacrificed for her, which is a, a beautiful, loving example of how teamwork works in a yeah. marriage. Mm. Do you think, um, in the, perhaps the woman you know the very best, your mm. wife, Janet, and you've been married almost 50 years now, have you seen her experience a kind of being overlooked, a kind of not being seen or heard? And how, would, how have you seen her grow through that? Right. Janet is... She comes from a family of six girls, and she would tell you that her main challenge in life is not being invisible. She doesn't want to be invisible. She wants to have her place at the table. She doesn't want to be overlooked. And those who know Janet, and you're one of them, Elisa, you don't have to worry about Janet being seen or heard. She's a flaming extrovert. She will be seen and heard, you know? And that's just kind of her DNA. Okay. That, that's what she does. Okay. And for... I guess most of our married lives, she was the person with the external job, and I had the interior introverted job. Mm-hmm. From the age of 30-something on, I've been at home as a paranoid, introverted <laughs> you know, writer. And she had a vivid career, first as a corporate person, as a marketing mm-hmm. manager, and then as a social worker, where she really found her calling. 
And then later uh, we moved to Colorado. For me, (laughs) it was great. Mm -hmm. Doing the same thing I did in Chicago, but with a much better view, you know. No people around, (laughs) I get more work done, you know. (laughs) But it it was not a good place for her as a social worker because in the town we live, there are more animals by far than people. Oh, wow. So there, Janet, Uh, became a hospice chaplain. And then, as my book started being published in different countries, especially, I would be called to go to Korea or Japan or Africa or places. It was a deeply sacrificial act. She said, okay, I am going to give up my own career and travel with Philip. It was a very hard thing for her because she was a very career-oriented person. And she's by now in her 50s, so she had already had quite a career behind her already. So when we do travel, it works like this. I'll speak maybe at a conference on leadership, and then they have a book signing. And in these other countries, they really like having their book signed, and they like having a little selfie taken with you, you know. So Mm -hmm. this drives me crazy. It's much harder than speaking. (laughs) Sit there and have these 10-second conversations with people who you have a hard time understanding because their English is different. But, and you're not exactly super extroverted anyway. That's right. Yeah. So that's I should right. not ask for a selfie no, don't, after don't this podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll warn you now. <laughs> so invariably, someone will come to me and say, oh, thank you for your book, Disappointment mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, oh, well, that's usually there's some pain behind you reading that. Mm-hmm. She said, yes, yes. My four-year-old died of leukemia last week. And there are a hundred people behind what her. What do you say? And I can't say... Oh, that's too bad. Next. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I say, I am so sorry. I would love to hear this story. As you see, there are a lot of people there. Would you mind talking to my wife? And she'll tell me all about it tonight. No. And what she doesn't know, she's a trained hospice chaplain and mm-hmm. social worker. Mm-hmm. Much better than I would be at listening. <laughs> and when they talk to Janet, they feel very warmed and heard and then they also it's like talking to me as well you know we're we're together they identify us together so we have created a partnership that neither one of us would have imagined and was really hard for janet but i think she finds her own fulfillment she always defers and says well you're the one but no not for the person who just lost her four-year-old that's right that's (laughs) right philip for just a minute would you speak to the woman who feels unheard today Would you just speak to her about how God is there, how he's listening? So I would say to that woman, who is your audience? Because women particularly are very sensitive to who's watching, who's judging. And in our society, in most societies, you know, appearance is part of that. Am I keeping up? Are people enjoying looking at me? Am I doing the right thing? Am I the right kind of hostess? You know, all these questions, I'm generalizing, but I think men generally don't have that long list of questions. How are people perceiving me? We just mm. bull ahead and do whatever we want. Right, you know? right. <laughs> you know? But women, especially What's Southern like? women, <laughs> Southern women are always asking, what is appropriate and how am I doing? And there's this conflicting between how I want to express myself and what society is telling me is acceptable for a woman. That's a terrible burden. And yeah. I guess I, I would respond, You're not going to get rid of those voices, but make the primary voice, what does God think? My audience is not, how do I please those around me? My primary audience is, am I bringing pleasure to God? 
And if you can do that, you know, I go back to the story I told earlier in this broadcast of Don Maya, <laughs> this mm -hmm. leprosy patient. Mm -hmm. She brings pleasure to God. There's no question. And you can see it in her smile. And when she meets a stranger, what does she start singing? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Thank you, Philip. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Before we close out today's episode, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but you'll also find a link to connect with me and Erin on social. So check out the show notes on our website, godhearsher.org. The show notes also contain a link to sign up for the God Hears Her newsletter, featuring helpful articles and stories from women just like you who are discovering what it means to be seen and heard by God. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Daniel Ryan Day and Mary Job Clark. And we also want to give a quick shout out to Jim, John, and Laura for their help in creating the God Hears Her podcast. Thanks, y'all. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.